Hey, man. Uh, I'm having a rough fucking week. How about you? No, not really. I mean, other than, you know, worrying about family who live in the Houston area. But uh, other yeah. than that, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, since our last podcast, uh, Harvey happened. Yeah, we had mentioned that it was coming, you know, the last episode we were talking about that it was about to make landfall within a couple of days, and boy, did it ever, and uh, with a vengeance. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't think, you know, it did, what I what I, what I think is interesting is it kind of did what they said it would do. It got on to land in Texas, and it just sat there and dumped water and dumped water and dumped water and dumped water. And and that, you know, it wasn't the high winds or anything like that that really caused, well, it, that caused some damage in Rockport. But, you know, Houston really didn't have any trouble with high winds. It was just a deluge of water that wouldn't stop. Oh, yeah. And, and that's what they said the danger was. And I think I told you, maybe we talked about it last time, I don't remember, but, you know, my parents live in Dickinson, right. which is which is seems to be the city that got it the worst of all. And um, yeah. that w- that we've lived in the same house. They've lived in the same house there for 37 years. Mm-hmm. Water has never, ever, ever, and even though Dickinson is part of the floodplain, supposedly, yeah. water's never, ever come in the house. It's come right up to the house. It's never come in the house. Well, they got over a foot of water in the house. Oh shit! Yeah, that's, yeah, that's frustrating. Sucks. Okay, uh, has has the level gone down in? I, or I, is it you just... know, I they haven't been communicating with me much because it was like my my parents and my niece and her kids they all went to they all went north of Houston. I think they're around Lufkin area in in hotels. Okay, and right. then my sister who lives near them. She was she's in a trailer and so it was high off the ground. So water came close to the bottom of her trailer but mm-hmm. didn't come in her house. Okay. But I, I I do believe she lost power and uh, for a couple uh for maybe overnight or something one time and and but then she was able to after a day or so was able to go over to my parents' house which was just a few blocks away and see that how much water had been in the house. Ah, uh, okay. So and, now now you said you said had been so it had been like up to a foot inside and then had gone down according to her or I, there was still some water I, I she she sent me some videos but it was dark there was no power and it was ah. just like using the light on her phone and so it was really difficult to see okay. so i think there was still some water in the house if i remember correctly and then they could see you know they didn't really pull things up off the floor because uh-huh. we didn't, you know, like I say, water's never gotten in the house. Right. And so there were some things that had been on the floor that were sitting on the floor that you could see where they were still wet from the water being higher. Yeah. Oh shit. Well, that sucks. I'm yeah, I'm 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 yeah, I'm really sorry to hear that that happened to them. Uh, of course, they're certainly not alone. There are a lot of people who had similar occurrences Absolutely. or or worse. And uh, yeah. so yeah, it's uh And uh-huh. Go ahead. They're all alive, so you know they're all safe and alive. That's all that really matters. The rest of it's just right. a, a pain in the ass to, yeah, to you're, solve. Uh, yeah, your parents had probably gotten out uh, by Thursday, or is that is that right? They had left I've, well ahead of the storm making landfall. Yeah, my mom has always been a worrier. She's when I, I think I did I say this last time when no. I was a kid and we lived in the Midwest. If mm-hmm. there was tornadoes, we would have to get in the bedroom and sit with a mattress over our head because somewhere she read that was the safest thing to do. And yeah. we and we lived in trailers, you know, mobile homes. So tornadoes right. 
certainly could have oh. got us if we were oh, in the wrong yeah. place at the wrong time. Yeah, trailer parks are tornado magnets, to be sure. Yeah. Yeah, so it seems. So um, she's always um, been like overly cautious, you know, to to the point where we make fun of her. Yeah. Um, but she, they, she, her and dad always get out early because she just she'll she'll go crazy if she doesn't, and right. and in this case it was a good thing you know it's after thirty seven years it paid off because definitely yeah it, what's that I said definitely uh you know I I would say she got the last laugh but there's nothing to laugh about but uh, right right she, she uh de- her intuitions definitely paid off in this case yeah i think so yeah I, I, it made me i felt you know being in austin where you you're just here and you can't really do anything i, I was glad yeah. to know from the very beginning they were they were safe and and you know nowhere near uh houston so right th- and that made me feel a lot better too absolutely i mean you know completely out of harm's way granted their house got water in it but things can be replaced you know that's what yeah. that's what insurance is for. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, right. And I I'm pretty I I assume, you know, I, I don't understand insurance because there is flood insurance that like FEMA offers, I guess. Yes. But then I think some insurance companies offer it as well, so mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of coverage they have, but I'm assuming they're insured to a certain degree. Okay. Yeah. Well, I I hope so. And uh, granted I have Quite a few relatives who live in the Houston area. As far as I know, none of them had uh, water in their homes, so they they lucked out in in that regard. Um, with well, the ex- that's great. Yeah, with the exception of my um, uncle's bay house, the one that I mentioned to you that we go fishing at every year, uh, mm-hmm. which, which we were planning on having a fishing trip in, I think, October. And uh, unfortunately, the bay house took quite a beating. Um mm. Yeah. Uh, where is that at again? Uh, sea Drift. I don't know exactly where that is. Sea Drift is kind of uh, east of Victoria on the coast. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, we had seen some pictures, and it looks like a, a section of the roof of the, the bay house is blown off, and mm. the entire dock, which is like 75 yards long, and it comes out into a T-head, uh, the whole thing was blown up onto uh land so the whole his whole wow. uh, gang plank or walkway out like i said it's like 75 yards long out into the bay it's just was completely blown on to uh, uh yeah right next to his house and stuff but you know i mean it's a bay house they don't live there but you know it's a, a place that relatives go to you know every year for that annual fishing trip and yeah and that i don't think that fishing trip's going to happen this year it might turn into a Let's rebuild the the gangplank uh, trip. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. I um I work with a guy who was in Rockport uh, the week before Harvey happened, and he mm-hmm. he uh, showed me this picture on his phone. He 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 was fishing down in Rockport on a pier, and mm-hmm. uh, showed me a picture on his phone after Harvey, where all that was left of that pier was just some some uh, posts sticking up out of the water. Right. I don't know what you got. No, uh, absolutely. Yeah, that's the yeah, that's pretty much all that was left uh in the water were the were the big um, you know, creosote posts sticking up out of it. So Yeah. Really yeah. strange and So he to was see. like, yeah. Mm-hmm. A week ago I was standing on a pier that was here and now this is what's left. And right. I'm like, "Jiminy, you know, that's crazy." Yeah. Stuff like that can be fixed and replaced and, you know, as long as nobody is hurt, that's fine. Um Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, there you know, with this big storm, there were some 
deaths. Uh, I think the count is up to like 35 people confirmed had died from the storm. Uh, Granted, I mean, that's nowhere near the death count uh, during Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, which I I think the death count was in the thousands. Um, But yeah, yeah. But uh, two completely different storms and two completely different events, you know, in uh, New Orleans, the, the levees failed and, you know, caused most of the flooding there and people were just inundated like a tidal wave you know with uh with hurricane harvey i mean this was a you know a slow rising water that most people could somehow avoid for the most part even though there wasn't large-scale evacuation um of course we, we know what happened the last time they tried to evacuate houston uh like over 100 people died on the road um from, right from various I'm a, causes i'm uh-huh. i'm having a real tough time trying to to rectify in my mind did they do the right thing or not uh not calling for an evacuation it's that's one of those things where you know i I hear what they're saying why they didn't Uh i'm not necessarily saying that they were wrong but i don't necessarily know they were right either there's no way to know right um yeah if you recall how the the highways were just at at a dead standstill the last time they tried to evacuate and like i said more people died on the road during the evacuation the the previous hurricane than have died with uh, Hurricane Harvey. So yes, but I mean, my parents and family again, like I say, my mom always likes to get out early. Yeah. On that one, they didn't get out as early, and they were on the road from they came to Austin, mm-hmm. and they were on the road for you know over twenty four hours, I believe. Wow! Um, Holy shit! Yeah, okay. yeah, it was it was awful. Mm-hmm. And um, my point is, since that happened, supposedly mm-hmm. they had set up all kinds of systems so that would never happen again. So if all those systems were set up to mm-hmm. where that was not supposed to ever happen again, yeah, it kind of people have been able to evacuate. Well, it kind of makes you wonder how how much of this so called system had they actually implemented. Um, right. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm yeah buying that. I don't I don't recall seeing any uh, major uh, roadway constructions that have been done other than maybe Highway 59, I know, received some huge upgrades, but no, I, think they were, I, I don't think it, they were completed yet, though. I mean, most I think, of it's completed, but there's a huge bottleneck right before you get to, like, the Stafford area, I think. I think, too, part of it was supposed to be that there was supposed to be a system for for setting up both lanes to go one direction, to where one side wasn't just empty and the other side was completely uh, backed up, but yeah, you're 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 correct there. I've definitely seen signs that say you know during an evacuation all lanes will be going outside of Houston. That's true. I have seen that. Um, yeah, on on the road signs that that mention that. So okay, you know, for some reason I thought that was already in place. You know, that's just kind of an obvious uh, uh, thing that most major cities did, but. Maybe not. I don't know. They went during what wasn't where they evacuated Ike. During mm-hmm. Ike, to the best of my knowledge, it wasn't. No one, no one knew they could go on the other side of the road to get out. It wasn't. Uh-oh. It wasn't clear to people. Uh, you know, I would have just got off and gone over there anyway. I'd be like, screw it. But um, <laughs> right. What, what crazy person would be heading toward 
Yeah, a hurricane. Well, there, there, right. are, a lot, there are a lot well, of crazy people who would do that. That's true. There, there are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, anyway, you know, we, you know, like I say, even in my mind, I go back and forth as to whether or not they did the right thing by mm-hmm. not calling for an evacuation. Uh, is you know, is that just a convenient uh, ploy? Oh, you know, we'll say that we were afraid to do it because the last time, if it really gets bad, because too, I sat Maybe. here. You know, yeah. we sat here in Austin until. Until even in, in Friday or or Saturday, going, eh, is it really going to be that bad? We weren't really sure. Right. You know, it wasn't until Sunday when it really just sat over Houston and dumped so much water that we were like, oh, this is as bad as they thought it was going to be. Right. And I think that's part of it too. I think no one, you know, mm-hmm. when a hurricane's coming like that, they don't want to evacuate everybody and they be like, whoops, didn't right. need to. Yeah, I mean, and and yeah, I mean, Harvey's still lingering. I mean, not necessarily over Houston right now, but kind of off toward uh, East Texas and Louisiana as a tropical depression, still dumping rain. Yeah, I think yeah. it's moving a little north now, too. So, yeah. yeah, but yeah, it's still not completely over. So, And then there's, of course, mm-hmm. as we know, there's more stuff going on out over the water, but nothing right. that seems as threatening to the Gulf Coast. So, True, true. Um, oh, by the way, I need to uh, give a shout-out to my uh, cousin Curtis, who... Uh, volunteered to be one of the many people who got on boats and were rescuing people in the Houston area. He had posted some pictures and had made some mention of they had rescued some people out of a nursing home, two-story nursing home, and all of the residents had been moved to the second floor, and the first floor was flooded, and they went, and he, on, on the boat he was on, and then several other boats were, you know, slowly taking people out of it. So, uh, you know, um, that's a very heroic endeavor, and everybody who participated in those rescue efforts, when they didn't have to, they wanted to. So, uh, uh, three cheers to their bravery. Absolutely. Yeah. I um, that just made me. I started thinking about when you were talking about that. I started thinking about the thing where you know, it's like to, uh, it's like you know, not to get political, but everything is politics now. Um, yeah. I was I was like you know like one of the big things here in Texas. For people who are listening who are not in Texas or, or as familiar, mm-hmm. th- th- there's a huge grocery store chain in Texas called HEB, and and they did a lot of work and are still doing a lot of work um, feeding people, uh, feeding for, for feeding responders, bringing supplies into places where they need it. Yeah. Um, and and there's a guy in Houston named uh, Mas- Mattress Mac who oh. anyone who no- lives in Houston knows him. Right. They really will save you money. And they saved some asses too because he let people come into his furniture stores and and stay there during the hur- hurricane, which is which is crazy amazing. Yeah. You know. Oh my God. He. Uh, yeah, he took brand new mattresses and had them laid out on the floor, and people were allowed to to sleep on all all of his furniture. So yeah, amazing! What a, what a yeah. guy! What a guy! What I mean, that is you know just kind of an amazing thing to do. But uh-huh. at the same time, I'm like, mm-hmm. is it you know? What, do you want to live in a republic or do you want to live in a well, what what is the word I'm looking for in a country where money is the king? What <laughs> my brain just shut down on me in the middle of a sentence. An oligarch? You know, you, an oligarchy? No, like where money. You know, what it, capitalist? Do you want to live in a capitalist society or do you want to live in a 
a republic because in my opinion it's the government's job to take care of people during stuff like this not companies that's not their job and true you know so uh, what they said so mm-hmm. what they did was great but what yes. that shows me is you know that's republicanism at its finest where oh big business will take care of everybody if we just let people get rich they'll take care of the poor and the needy and the hungry there's no reason to for the federal government to take care of them which <laughs> i think is is horseshit so i mean i'm glad that companies like that stepped up and helped people but at the same time it infuriates True. me because it's it's not their job that's what i pay taxes for well good point you know and, and granted there's there's fema to the rescue sort of um <laughs> and uh, the national guard of uh, you know is there in force uh, as well saving people but right um yeah we don't know exactly how things are shaking out as far as how much relief people are going to get from, you know, the federal as well as state government as far as, uh, you know, semi-permanent living arrangements until, you know, people can get back on their feet. So, you know, that remains to be seen uh, at this point. Right. Yeah, let's just hope it doesn't turn out to be, you know, know, another situation like Katrina where people, you know, pretty much were just scattered to the four winds and uh, never— came back home but i, I don't think right. that this is going to be that type of situation but you know we're just gonna have to wait and see we'll see yeah how it goes i mean i'm i like i haven't talked to my parents and i know i'm a bad son but you know i i don't know what their plan is for coming back to to dickinson i don't even know if it's possible for i don't even think it's possible for them to get to their house at this point i could be wrong yeah. but yeah. um i i don't know what their game plan is Um, I mean, we're still we're really still in the middle of an emergency here. I mean, there's still still people who have not been rescued yet, probably getting very close to everybody who needs rescuing has been rescued. But I I don't think it's over yet. Right. I don't either. You know, my parents will be dealing with this for quite a while. And, Mm -hmm. you know. Part of me was like, it just kind of, you know, after this happened, I was just kind of like, what, what the fuck are they doing in Dickinson for anyway? Why are they? Why, why do you still live there? It, it's a podunk little town. There's nothing there. I mean, you're mm-hmm. close to Clear Lake and some other things, but there's just no real reason to live there. There's no jobs there. You have to drive to mm. Houston or at least Clear Lake area to to have a decent job, right? Uh, and I'm just like, you know, I've lived in Austin now for 17, 18 years, and I've, I've begged them from about the time I moved here to come live in Austin. And and I'm like, what, you know, part of me is like, well, will, will you come now? Right, <laughs> yeah. right. Hey, you How long are you yeah. going to live in the floodplain? Right. I mean, they're you're, both of your parents are retired now. Is that correct? Yeah, mom retired this year. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, why not? Hey, you know, they can move to they can move to Round Rock or Georgetown or Kyle. They don't have to move in the middle of the city if that's what they're afraid of. Uh, right, yeah. There's plenty of communities. They could go to Hutto or, you know, or even Taylor. Oh my god, you can uh, housing prices in Taylor are so low and you can get amazing houses. Sierra and I went out there and were like, "Wow, if we didn't, you know, work in Austin, we could buy this amazing house here in Taylor." But, you know, it's like that's that's completely unworkable. But, you know, as somebody who's retired, right, it's right. it's a, a perfect situation. Right. Yeah. I mean, mom won't leave the, the grandkids, you know. Oh, well. And don't and don't get me get me started on the fact that I, I you know, not that they've ever made me feel bad or anything. But sometimes I'm like, you know, I guess you're not going to come live where I am because I didn't reproduce. That's fine. If you need to be where oh. all the people who reproduce are, that's fine. 
Okay. Well, why don't the uh, why don't the why don't the breeders move uh, to the Austin area too? I I agree. Weren't, uh, you know, there's they, nothing holding them there. Yeah, weren't they in a, in a flooded area too? Well, they live with my parents, so yeah. Well, there you go. Come on. Yeah, they, they all move. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? I don't get it. I, I don't mean, get what I, I. You know, can't your sister like, get, I, your sister could easily get a job in this area. I mean, you know. Oh, yeah. In in fact, she's worked for the same company. I won't say what company it is, but it's a major retailer that is closing stores left and right. Uh And her store, they announced, is going to be closed within the next year or so. So it's like, again, uh, you know, and and her her husband works for a big grocery store chain, but he's a good guy and a good worker. He could work anywhere, you know. Okay. To me, it's just like, eh, I don't know what holds you there. I mean, Houston's a cool place to visit. I'm glad I don't live there anymore. Yeah. And the only reason I would ever go back is to be near my family. Yeah, of course. Of course. So, so that's like yeah. nephew, you know, lives in the Montrose, which I love. Right. And he's in a second story apartment. And so, you know, he was fine during all of this. Yeah. Um, in fact, I, I don't think he even lost power in his apartment in the Montrose. Hmm. Um, okay. But him and him and his boyfriend were were in the apartment for three days, really couldn't go out. And both of their cars got flooded. So they're having to deal with that, which oh. I didn't even think about. You know, when you think about uh, not only is all the homes, but all the cars yeah. that got. I mean, there must there's probably over a million cars that insurance companies are going to have to do something about. And, and that's just crazy. Yeah. I have. Wow. I, I, I can't imagine being. Yeah. I. A car insurance provider right now going, holy shit, look yeah. at all these payouts we're going to have to be doing, you know? Yeah. Insurance mm-hmm. premiums are going to go up for everyone, by the way, in the state of Texas. Uh, um, that's, yeah. that's just a given. Yep. I, I'd say everywhere in in the entire United States, it gets spread out evenly. Well, that's probably true, too. So Sure. Um, but anyway, it's, wow. it's just a fucking mess, and you're right. It, 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 it will take more than a year before things even get back to seemingly normal absolutely i mean you know this is this is a hell of a hurricane i mean it right before it made landfall it became a category four so yeah, yeah that first uh, category four to hit land in the united states since something like 1904 or something since or 1911 wow. i mean in many years damn okay uh yeah, um, crazy. That reminds me, I got to talk about, you know, here in Austin, and I, I know there are other guys like this in other cities, too. Uh-huh. Uh, in Austin, we have a, a weatherman named Jim Spencer. He works for the the local NBC station, and I think he actually owns part of that station. I think I think he has a lot of money in it. Uh, yeah. And he's been in Austin for I don't know how many years. Um, and I love him. I call him the chicken little of weather because it's always <laughs> the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Well, maybe not falling, but it, it could fall. And then that would be bad. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, he gives you, you all know, the you... worst case scenarios. And well, yes. And, and, this and then particular... back Oh, well, except in this case. Well, I mean, he'll he'll say uh, he'll say this. This is a life threatening uh, hurricane. Well, it could oh. be. And that's important for you to know. You know, what I mean, it's oh, always like a, okay. a a giant step out in the middle of the road and then scurrying back to the side for a little <laughs> bit to make sure he hasn't said something that somebody could call him on later. Ah, OK. It's so his his new his nickname is Captain Caveat. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a good one for him, too. <laughs> but I love him. You know, he used to drive me crazy. I, I used to get mad. I was like, this guy's going to panic people and somebody's going to die. 
die because wow. of him. And and then I just learned to take him with mm. a grain of salt because he's actually a quite knowledgeable guy about weather. But you just have to get used to his style because it's always going to be worst case scenario is the first thing out of his mouth. You know, this could kill millions of people. <laughs> well, maybe not millions, but but hundreds. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. And, and okay. so I just I love to watch him. But one thing is for sure uh-huh. when there's bad weather. He's the guy I'm going to because he he's he really knows his stuff. He and you may have to right you you have to take some of the hyperbole with a, <laughs> a grain of salt. But yeah, you know he's the he's the guy that said this thing could s- sit over Texas for days and just dump a lot of water and uh-huh. it, and it could be really bad. Right. He's been around a long time. He's not just a weatherman. He is truly a meteorologist, as they say. Yes. And uh, yeah, he knows his shit. Because he's been in the business a long time. I'm trying to remember when he first started working here in Austin. Uh, but I, I think it was before you were... I thought I heard him say... Now, maybe I'm wrong because I don't think he's that much older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, in my mind, I was thinking uh, 67, but I don't think so. That's too early. He's not that old. So it probably wasn't... Uh, maybe he said 80, 81 the other day. I just can't remember. He said something the other day about this is the worst thing I've seen since I've moved since I moved to Austin or started working in Austin in nineteen something. And I maybe it was seventy seven, maybe it was eighty, something like that. Yeah, I, I would believe more more in the eighties than anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sixty seven, he would be like seventy, eighty years old. He's probably late fifties. He's probably my age. So. Right. I, I do remember seeing him on the air when he still had hair. <laughs> I've never even seen a picture of him with hair. <gasps> Oh, I got to get online. (laughs) I got to see if I can find a picture of him from. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll do that when I'm listening to the episode and posting stuff on Facebook and Twitter. I'll see if I can find an old picture of him. Yeah, he's 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 like, you know, you know how one of those guys that just grows on you, you know, right. And at first they irritate you. I think you probably remember Marvin Zindler in the in the 80s in Houston in the 70s and 80s. Do you remember him? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. His his, uh, toupee got larger and and scarier and his glasses got bluer and bluer and bigger yeah <laughs> yes, he was bigger the, and bluer <laughs> he was the guy who uh who uh, shut down the 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 chicken ranch in lagrange right and, well, uh, his reporting and, led to the closing of the chicken ranch in lagrange yes and um he had a thing in the 80s where he did did the restaurant uh, uh what do they call it when the guys go in and check out restaurants the the, the, the roach help- the Roach and Rodent Report. Yeah, the health inspection report. <laughs> yes. And his he made a catchphrase out of slime in the ass machine. <laughs> right. It was yes. The greatest fucking thing ever. And at first I was like, you know, of course, at first you're like, who is this crazy fucker? Oh, but yeah. then they grow on you and you start like you start looking forward to seeing him on TV. Well, it is like a human train wreck. I mean, you know, you can't look away. Right, yeah, but then they become kind of endearing. I don't know. Okay, right. Yeah, because all the other newscasters, after he gave his report, always chuckled. Right, yeah, it was almost like a, he was almost like a self, what do you call that, a self-referential joke or whatever, you know, he kind of knew. Oh, yeah. You know, but then he just took something like, I I don't know, maybe at some point they told him he was going to do the restaurant stuff, and he was just Mm -hmm. like, oh, Jesus, I don't want to do this. And so he made shtick out of it, and it actually made him an even bigger star. Oh, yeah. By by doing the fucking health inspection reports on the newscast. Exactly. Wow. (laughs) Um, Is he he still alive, do you think? Oh, no, no, no. Um, He died 
several years ago before oh. I moved to Austin. So really? in the late in, in the nineties, okay. yeah. I think I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty but, sure before I moved to Austin. Okay. But I hear his toupee is living comfortably. That thing will never die. <laughs> it's, it's scurrying around on the ground somewhere. <laughs> oh, and those blue glasses. Good Lord. I'll have to find a picture of him and one of his. I'm sure you can still see on YouTube. I'm sure somebody has uploaded some of his greatest hits because he was so fun. Oh, definitely. There's, there's, there's got to be a compilation of Slime in the Ice Machines. Right. I wonder, on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. I wonder if there's yeah, an, me too. I wonder if there's any of his chicken ranch uh reporting uh on YouTube as well. That'd be cute. I know, mm-hmm. right? That would be interesting because you know that led to The Best Little Horror House in Texas. Yeah. I think in in the movie Dom DeLuise plays I believe the Marvin the, Zindler character. Yeah, I believe the char- yeah, the character was called Melvin P Thorpe in the movie and the play. <laughs> Yeah, and then of course the song by ZZ Top called Lagrange. That's right. Pre- yep, pretty much about the chicken ranch, I do believe. Oh, it definitely was about the chicken ranch. Yes, sir, Bob. Yeah. Uh huh. What was that like growing up in the town where that was the big thing everyone knew about it? Uh, you get tired of hearing it. Actually, because I was you know a little kid in the early seventies, I didn't know anything about it until. You know, it started appearing on the news, and then, then you know, everybody knew about it. But, uh, right, right. Yeah. I, I just wasn't of an age to where that was of any concern to me. Or, right, of you course. Know, <laughs> you know, I was probably that, 10 years old when that uh, closed down, well before I became pubescent. Right, right, before <laughs> you you cared, quote unquote. Exactly. I don't. Right. I don't think I heard about it. You know, we moved to, to uh, Houston in 78, uh-huh. And I and by that point it was pretty much it was over. I don't even know exactly when all that happened. Uh, but um, seventy four, seventy three, seventy four. That's maybe? what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Well before I got to Houston, and so I don't think I even heard about it until uh, at some point when I got older and heard the song Lagrange, and mm-hmm. and maybe someone, maybe even a guy on the radio or something mentioned, oh, about the the chicken ranch and. Yeah, or maybe, I don't know. I don't know how I found out about it, but it, I wasn't there. It was definitely well after we had moved to Houston. Maybe it was on a Marvin Zindler, you know, looking back at his career after 20 years or some crazy thing like that. Well, that's very likely, or maybe even a, a documentary about it somewhere. Right, yeah. yeah. And it may have even been when uh, Best Little Whorehouse became a movie well, that I really found out about it. Okay. Because that, what was that? that was like... Early 80s? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Mid 80s, you know. Yeah, it was probably a play in the late 70s. And then the, right. mo- then the movie was made in the early 80s, I'm per- I believe. But that makes sense, yeah. And then, of course, if there's a movie and it's got a whorehouse in the title, I'm, I'm like, what's this about? <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> I'm definitely getting my curiosity peaked. Sure. For that. So Everybody likes stories about prostitution. Yeah, I want to know about <laughs> whores. <laughs> when I'm 18, 19 years old, I want to know what that story is all about. Heck yeah, you know. <laughs> that's where Richard Pryor got his start. He was a towel boy at a whorehouse. Got- was he? Was he funny? Uh, I don't know, I guess. Did he do, do shtick about the girls? I'm not sure, but I, I don't know. I mean, it, it definitely uh, um, spoke to his worldview. That's for sure, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Anyway, yeah. I don't know how anyway. we got down that slope. Uh, yeah. All right. There's a slope. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, okay, well, I knew we were going to be talking a lot about the, the hurricane because it's just a few days after the majority of the damage occurred. 
so yeah right mm. and that um, was i think that was my point from the beginning what started us on this slope was uh-huh. uh you know my work i work at a brick and mortar and and we don't talk about where i work but nope. um there are offices of the same brick and mortar store in uh houston and mm-hmm. of course all of them are closed right now and uh so many of the people who have things going on with this company i work with are yeah. calling my office to get help Oh boy! So I'm sure so your my life has mm-hmm. been shit. Yeah. Okay. So your workload is just quadrupled. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. T- today, actually, I, I I don't think they could before today. I don't even know how they do this, but today it seems like what they did was they got into the phone systems for those stores and just had them forward automatically to our office. That makes sense under the circumstances. Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. you know. But it's just it was it was a tr- it's been a trying week for me and and one of my coworkers is out on vacation this week so so oh. it's been a trying week for me it's really stressed me out yeah no doubt man you'd have thought they'd uh, maybe called that person and say oh your time off has been rescinded because mm. we have so much going on but i guess that didn't happen well we don't well that person was actually not just on vacation she was going to uh back to the north where she's from to go to weddings one of her best friends was having their wedding this past weekend oh she's actually coming back to work next week and then next the weekend next weekend going back north to another wedding holy crap yeah i was like hey tell your friends to you know go to the justice of the peace and leave you alone (laughs) all <laughs> right save everybody some trouble and save right, your, yeah and save yourself some money yeah yeah she was really upset about it because she wanted to take the full time off and she didn't have enough vacation time oh okay so she mm. had to actually come she actually has to come back and then fly back so that's why we were supposed to record last night and and i got so tired mm. just a few minutes before we were supposed to record that i actually laid down and closed my eyes and fell asleep and then next thing i knew you were texting me and i was like oh can we do it tomorrow <laughs> right <laughs> yeah your return text message was fairly garbled i said oh he's pretty out of it i think i'll we'll just try to reschedule for tonight <laughs> I'm glad we did because yeah. I was I was pretty tired too. I had... I was so sleepy. I was so sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great segue. We can... <laughs> yes, but uh, oh, before we kick things off, uh, just a, a very tiny people who died segment. Just uh, rem- oh, okay. remembering a couple of people who died. Uh, you know that uh, Toby Hooper died. Uh, I guess last week. And, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that was one of the. Uh, the big names, and of course, I I know you know this other person, Margaret Mosier, yeah, uh, who was a writer for um, the uh, Austin Chronicle, among many other things in her uh, uh, amazing life. Yes, uh, she died as well. A lot, so uh, a just, lot of work with uh, South by Southwest, and with uh, she was, you know, it's funny she she um, you know, I never met her, and I really didn't know about her until I moved to Austin. And then um, some some folks that I'm friends with on Facebook were kind of friends of hers, people who had worked in the Chronicle in the past. And um, and they were talking about how she she got a a cancer diagnosis and Mm -hmm. and did treatment for a while. But then after a while said, I'm I'm not going to do any more treatment. I'm just going to let what happens happen. Wow. And which pretty much, you know, she knew she was going to die. So she was kind of having get-togethers at her house on Sundays mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, it was kind of like a celebration of her life. She actually got it was, she got to celebrate her life and, and hang out with friends and be with people, you know, instead of 
kind of dying unexpectedly and and then everyone's like i wish i'd have spent more time with her you know yeah yeah i get that and uh yeah i happened to run across something i guess it was on youtube it was kind of a video that a lot of her friends and and most of them were you know big names in the music industry you know just kind of saying thank you to her for everything so it was kind of yeah touching i saw a post from uh, john kale uh uh, a Velvet Underground, um, right? With a picture of him with her and kind of a little uh, memorial of her, and I was like, "Wow!" I, so she was. It's funny because she was kind of known somewhat as a groupie and and an unashamed groupie, which right. why no reason to be ashamed. <laughs> no, and, I, re- um, I read that. Yeah, I thought, oh, yeah. okay, man, she had a very storied life, as they say. Yeah, so mm. she's a really interesting character, and and so one of the great things is there's been a lot of stuff online about her over the last few months, and of course recently when she passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and her story's just really interesting. So um, it was really neat to read some of the things that that were online about her, and I shared some of those to our Facebook page. Uh, and I'll probably reshare them again when this when this episode gets posted because right. she's a really interesting person and and definitely someone really important to Austin and to Texas music scene and and journalism and things like that. So yeah, a definite champion of the Austin music scene. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's okay. one of my regrets, man. I never I didn't come to Austin until '98. I, I, people always told me it was great, and I just, I don't know. I sucked as a person for a long time. I, I hated to go places. Yeah. I was I don't know why I was that way. Um, So, I you know, but one thing I've always want, wanted was like, man, I wish I could have come to Austin back in like the, the when I was in high school and gone to Raul's, right, uh, right. you know. No, I know. I mean, there are always opportunities that you wish you would have taken long ago, and uh, you know missed out on but uh, whatever yeah i mean yeah you, know. you can't go back in time but it's right. like she she that's she she was there kind of during that late 70s early 80s punk scene in yeah. in austin and i'm like man what a great time to be here I, I i really regret that i wasn't more knowledgeable and involved at, at that time yeah I, no i hear you you know I, I you know even i living so much closer to austin wish that uh, I would have taken more advantage of what was available during that time, you know, right around the time that I, you know, uh, was in high school and graduated high school. I mean, yeah, came to Austin, uh, you know, fairly frequently, but, you know, just wasn't as knowledgeable as I should have been to be able to take advantage of the coolest places in town. Yeah, I remember I had a friend who, um, I didn't have a lot of friends in high school because I was kind of an asshole and, and, uh, anti, an antisocial type person and and um come on uh, uh, yeah imagine that um but i had a, a f- kind of a friend who um went to austin to go to ut for his uh freshman year mm-hmm. uh so right after we graduated my senior year i got more sociable and i and i made more friends i i, knew, I was I cool i think i chilled out a little bit but anyway um he came back like I think it was around Christmas time or, you know, that first kind of break when you come back from college after the first semester or whatever. Right. And was tell- telling me about going to gay bars and guys, there's like guys dancing in there with their shirts off and stuff. I was like, <laughs> no way. <laughs> Shocking. I know, right? <laughs> But hey, I did some cool stuff when I was in. We're going to start the show eventually. Yeah, I did we, some cool stuff when I was in Houston. I went to the Island a couple times, which was the punk rock club in 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 Houston at the time. Okay, good. 
All right. Yeah. There you go. I, I mean, I'm excited about that. My first show ever I saw was at the island. Sometime I'll tell that story. Okay. We'll definitely do that when we get back to doing regular episodes. That'd be awesome. Yeah, cool. I'd love to hear the stories. Okay, cool. Maybe. We'll- All right, man. Well, oh, you should you should probably put a people who died clip there just because we did. Okay. There was some people who died. You know who else died that I'm kind of sad about? Who? Patty Deutsch. Patty Deutsch. You remember, mm. remember Patty Deutsch? The name sounds familiar, but I can't I can't zero in on it. She was on. I'm probably you know her most for she was on match game a lot she would sit in that last spot she had kind of longish red hair that was real straight and she always had kind of a, a sad sack face like oh like yeah, yeah, yeah dog right she, yeah. was, she was she was really kind of thin yeah very kinda, deadpan yeah very scary yes. kind of <laughs> D- definitely wow really man yeah one of my favorite people who was on match game i loved her Okay. Um, All right. She passed away too. Okay. So now you can do the people who died thing. All right. Okay. All my friends, they died. All right. So. um, Yeah. All right. So let's let's ease on into Twin Peaks. All right. Holy Um, shit. Yes. Well, I gotta tell you, man, I'm sure you agree. Pretty fucking awesome episode. This was an amazing episode and very satisfying in a lot of ways. Uh, Only a couple things pissed me off, so. Okay. So, just just to touch on things, we had a good Cooper surprise. We had a yeah. startling Audrey Horn scene. Yeah. There's a very shocking Richard Horn scene, literally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, bad news for Chantal and Hutch. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. And then we find out that Diane comes from Tulpa, Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, a real Tulpa, Oklahoma. <laughs> yes, a real. Those are the teasers. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Twin Peaks Part Sixteen. No and, knock, no doorbell. Yeah, I don't like. When I first started watching, I saw the title and I, hmm, what could that be, me, mean? Yeah, yeah. Which, which we find I, out later in Spades. Right. Right. Although the real, the real title of that episode should be. I am the FBI. <laughs> or, <laughs> That's what that episode really is about. My take on what the episode should be called is, Finally! <laughs> what but, a long, 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 strange trip it's been. Oh, boy. No shit. Okay, shall we jump into it? Speaking of long, 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 it starts with the long, 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 long road in the dark. Boy, it sure does. Wow. It's, uh, yeah, on a long, long, long road, Doppelganger and Richard are driving in Doppelganger's truck, 
as we remember from the previous episode, they met up at the convenience store gas station, and uh, Richard got in Doppelganger's truck, and uh, so they're driving down a dark highway somewhere. I'm thinking somewhere between Montana and Washington, and uh, they slowly turn off onto a dirt road and travel down this dirt road for a while. So uh, as they're driving down the dirt road, Doppelganger looks at a handheld device and slowly comes to a stop. He shifts the pickup into park, looks up and to the right of his pickup, then flips a switch on the headliner, which turns on four spotlights mounted on the roof. A whirring sound is heard as he rotates the lights now shining up a hill to illuminate a limestone outcropping. They get out of the truck and move toward the front of the vehicle. Richard speaks first. Okay, so we're here. What now? So Cooper says, pay attention. You'll find out. I'm looking for a place. Do you understand the place? Of course, Richard doesn't seem to. He says, place? So Doppelganger says, three people have given me coordinates to that place. Two of the coordinates match. What would you do, Richard? Of course, Richard says, I'd check out the two that match. Uh, Doppelganger says, you're a very bright young man, and we're very close to the two that match. Uh, Referring to his handheld device, he says, it says it's right up there. And so I'm wondering to myself, okay, so if this is the place where the coordinates told to go, are they already in Twin Peaks now? But anyway. Well, they must be. Yeah, because, well, what happens in a couple of seconds here? And right. so, so then Richard asks, we're going up there? Coop says, yeah, we're going up there right now. So they start walking up the hill, and just then, not that far away on another hill, we see a man running and breathing heavily. It's Jerry Horn! To which I'm saying, is it a coincidence that he's been walking, running all this time to end up in the same place as Cooper and Richard? What does he know and or what is compelling him to come to this place? So anyway, Jerry sees them from a distance. Uh-huh. Probably besides the point when all is said and done, too. Well, that's <laughs> well, true. But we've got two two more episodes. Who knows? Right. It, yeah, he may still play some role. We don't know. So, right. Anyway, Jerry sees them from a distance. They don't see him. He speaks confusedly to himself. He goes, people? So he pulls out a pair of binoculars from his backpack, looks through one of the lenses the wrong way around at the lit up truck. (sighs) (laughs) So he pulls the binoculars away from his face, looks at them and says, dear God. So then we cut back to Cooper and Richard still walking up the hill to limestone outcropping. Doppelganger looks at the handheld device and stops short. So Richard asks him, is this it? Doppelganger says, I'll bet it's right up there on that rock. Um, So Doppelganger hands the device to Richard and says, I'm 25 years your senior. Take this and get up there. It'll beep when you're close and make a continuous tone when you're on it. Let me know what you find. So Richard, device in hand, walks the rest of the way to the outcrop, climbs up on top of it. Jerry Horn looking on. Uh, As Richard reaches the top side of the rock, faint beeping is heard which intensifies to a rapid beeping as he walks to the center of the rock. Then the beeping becomes a continuous tone. He yells, I'm there! (laughs) Just then, he appears to be electrocuted. Sparks are seen flying out of his chest and hands. He screams out in pain as the sparks continue to fly. After several seconds of this, he poofs into apparent nothingness. Jerry Horn watches from a, watching from a distance gasps and wheezes in horror at the sight of it. After witnessing these events, Doppelganger says, Oh, goodbye, my son. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first off, uh, is this really what we, Richard Horn, is this really what it's all about? 
Really? I We watched Richard Horn go through all the shit he's done for the last 15 episodes so you can just put him on a rock and kill him? <laughs> I, I was furious. I was just like, that's just boring and, and pointless. Pointless! Well, it was, it was weird. I mean, it's like, okay, did he just evaporate into nothingness or did he end up going to the Black Lodge or to somewhere else? I don't know. Yeah, maybe well, we'll find out. I don't know, but I was just like... You know, uh, it, uh, you know, it just seemed pointless to me. I'm like, oh my god, all this character build up for Richard Horn, the whole thing that he's Cooper's son, which Cooper, of course, acknowledges at the end of the scene, mm-hmm. and then that's it. He climbs a rock and gets electrocuted. Really? I waited 15 fucking episodes for that. I was, I was pretty mad. Yeah, that's pretty screwed up. Um, um, unless, unless yeah. Richard was just a then, tul- Richard was just a tulpa all along himself. Well, that that could be as well. I mean, Coop may be wanting him to go to the Black Lodge for some reason. Yeah. Um. Uh. And then and then the same thing with Jerry Horn. Really, we've had all this shit with Jerry Horn in the in the woods, not knowing uh, where he is or what's going on. Also, we could get to the joke that he looks through the binoculars the wrong way. Really? Yeah. That, uh, I waited all that time for that joke. That's the joke, Lynch. Well, I, Come on. That's a pretty fucked up joke if that's the case. Now, we have to remember that Richard is Jerry Horn's great nephew, so I, I can understand why he would be freaked out by seeing, you know, Richard go poof. Um, <laughs> right, but he's looking through the wrong side of the fucking binoculars. He can't tell who that is. Oh, that's true. How would he know? That's a good point. Yeah. Right. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, again... One thing, you know, Lynch episode 17 or 18, there could be some amazing thing that this all leads to, or it could just be, you know, Lynch being Lynch. And we, that, that's what we waited 15 episodes for, for Richard Horns to die pointlessly on a, ro- yeah. on a rock. There's, you know? there, there's gotta be more to it. There's gotta be. That's just, I yeah. hope so because I, because it just seemed like a waste of a character. I was like, why introduce these characters and build all this shit up? To put him on a rock and electrocute him. Right. Now... But, but I don't... But the the spot that he went to is the place where the coordinates said to go to. So there's... Says um, Bad Cooper. We assume that, well, that that's true. That's tr- that's a very good point. Which, uh, yeah, I mean, was was that the a place where the he had only coordinates for one from one person? So he was afraid it was a trap, and so he sends uh, Richard Horn up there and... It's a trap, and he, you know... Maybe, yeah. I mean, that's possible, too. Well, who gave him the trap coordinates, then? Right, yeah. Because he who got... Who did he get coordinates from besides Diane? Well, he got coordinates from Diane. He got some from uh, Ray. Oh, from Ray, right. Because Ray... Get some... Uh, Ray got him from uh, Principal Hastings. Um, right. So who's the third person who gave him coordinates? Yeah, was it was it uh, the girl who... the uh, Ruth Davenport, somehow, or... I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that'll be made clear later on. I don't know. Perhaps. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. So anyway, um, so, so back I wrote to the Richard scene. Horn, first pointless death. Yeah, no shit. So <laughs> Jerry Horn, now on his knees, punches the ground and says, bad binoculars, bad binoculars, bad, bad, bad binoculars. And he slams them on the ground. I tried to forget all about that, but okay. I know, Thanks. I know. Thanks. Thanks for bringing it up. All right. So, <laughs> so. Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention before you go on was uh-huh. I thought it was interesting, you know, when Coop first tells him, I'm 25 years your senior. Yeah. So it's like Coop knows. So at that point, we know for sure Coop knows who he is right. and how old he is. And, and 25 years, yeah. you know, is, is an important clue. So 
when he said goodbye, son, uh-huh. I thought, huh, that's interesting. We already got the clue that he knew how old he was, therefore probably was his son, but he confirmed it. Yeah, he he drove it that point home completely. Yes. Yeah, so anyway. So after that, after poor Richard goes poof, uh, <laughs> Doppelganger goes back to the truck, pulls out his cell phone, and texts smiley face all, A-L-L, period. By the way, I... I wish I wish Richard would go poof, but that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ah, good one, good one. So anyway, he uh, Cooper texts that to an unknown number. The phone gives him a not delivered error, uh, so he puts the that's phone back nice. in his jacket and gets into the truck. I'm, I assume that eventually uh, the uh, the message is delivered. It just wasn't delivered at that moment, right? Yeah, because they were they must have been way out in the boonies where there was no cell coverage. Right, just a vortex. <laughs> Yes, maybe that's what was on top of that um, uh, rock, just another form of a vortex, kind of like the stairs on the side of the convenience store are another kind of vortex. Right, right. Yeah, so, you know, it may not be the end for Richard. Yeah, he could he could pop up again. Right, even though his character's kind of a terrible person. You oh, know, yes, him but end- maybe there's a... Uh-huh. But him ending like that is so pointless. Yeah, maybe there's a White Lodge, Richard. Oh, could be, could be. Yeah. Right. I'm all good if he comes back, good or bad, I don't care. Right, as long as he has his shirt off, right? Uh, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, you want to go on to the next scene? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so in the Rancho Rosa housing development in Las Vegas... Near the house with the red door, Hutch and Chantal have just pulled up in a black van. They move out of the front seats into chairs in the interior of the vehicle. They look out at the exterior of Dougie's house from across the street. Chantal puts her foot up on Hutch's knee while eating a bag of Cheetos. Hutch speaks. You hear that bird this morning? Chantal says, sure as shit did. I don't know what they're talking about. They continue looking out at at the Jones residence. At that moment, two late model black sedans pull up in front of Dougie's house. Hutch asks, who's this here? So we see Agent Headley and Wilson get out of one car and two more FBI agents get out of another. Chantal asks, what the hell are they doing here? Headley goes to the front door and knocks while Wilson peeps through the front window. The other agents apparently go around the back. Uh, After a while, Wilson says, well, it looks like nobody's home. Headley, annoyed as usual, says, oh, and how did you deduce that, Sherlock? (laughs) At that moment, he whistles for the other agents to come around and says, Wilson, you son of a bitch, go grab a car and park somewhere over there out of sight and stake out this house. He calls one of the other agents over and tells him that they're going to check out the place of business, Lucky 7 Insurance. He turns and yells at poor beleaguered Wilson to get going. Then Headley and another agent get in one car and Wilson and another agent get in the other car and drive off. Chantal looks from the van and says, good riddance. So, yeah. I uh, The only thing I had on that was I kept looking at the guy who plays Agent Headley, and I was like, who is this guy? I've seen him in stuff. Who the fuck is I've seen him in something. Who is he? I, I finally realized after thinking about it for five minutes that it was he played the dad on the Real O'Neills, which was a sitcom that I really liked about a gay kid. Uh, okay. All right. Thank you. I've got nothing else. That's that's really kind of a setup scene to uh, a more shocking scene that happens later. Yeah. Right. So anyway, next scene in a Las Vegas hospital, 
Dougie slash Good Cooper lays unconscious in bed. He has a breathing tube in his mouth and an electrocardiograph wires running down into the neck of his hospital gown. Janie E. and Sonny Jim sit worried by his side. Bud Mellons enters and says, I just heard what you've been telling me. He's in a coma, but his vital signs are good, strong. Janie says, yeah, but when people go into a coma, they can stay there for years. Mullins says, oh, Dougie's not going to do that. Sonny Jim asks, Mom, does a coma have something to do with electricity? Janie says, no, honey. Mullins says, well, in in this case, it did, which uh, is quite true. (laughs) (laughs) So right after that, Brad and Rodney Mitchum enter. Uh, carrying flowers. Rodney speaks. Bushnell, we came as soon as we heard. Mullins says, These are the Mitchum brothers, Janie E. They're friends of Dougie's. Janie says, Sonny Jim, these are the men who bought your gym set and the car. So anyway, Brad tells them that they need to eat, but they don't want to eat hospital food. So uh, just then, Candy and the other casino floozies show up with trays of finger sandwiches. Rodney then asks Janie E. for a house key so they can go to the house and stock it also. Janie seems pretty excited about this, so Janie gives them her house keys, and uh, as the Mitchum brothers are leaving, Brad leans over Dougie and asks, It was like, what, electricity? <laughs> so, And that's pretty much all of that scene. So we uh, find, Yeah, so uh, as I had predicted in the previous episode, yeah, we were going to see uh, Cooper in a, in a coma. And, you think uh, Dougie... Uh, Awake is boring. Dougie in a coma is insufferable. <laughs> I I think there was a, a long setup to that where he's in the coma and Janie E and, and Sonny Boy Jim are just sitting there. And, of course, it seems to go on forever before anything happens. And I was just like, oh, my God. I, I can't believe I wish Dougie was awake because this is even more boring. <laughs> <laughs> but but again, that's just another setup scene for a very exciting scene that happens later. Right, right. Yeah. I think, uh, and I think that scene ends too. Doesn't Sonny Boy Jim have to pee? Uh, that's later. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right before the uh, amazing event happens. Ah, okay. Right. So anyway, cut to the next scene. Uh, in a nicely furnished room at the Mayfair Hotel in Buckhorn, South Dakota, Gordon Cole stands and stares at an array of portable instruments set up on top of black cases around the room with readouts and maps on computer screens and blinking lights with dials, switches, and beeping enunciators. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm sitting here going, really? Is that you? <laughs> you write down everything, too. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's just funny. I'm like, yeah. yeah. I've gotten to the point where I don't write down hardly anything at all anymore because I know you have. So I'm like, I don't have to do shit. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I just pour over this shit. That's what I usually do my second viewing is uh, uh, <laughs> write down every fucking detail. Right? Yeah. I used to uh, write a lot of stuff, and I've just gotten to, to where I just take a, a few notes to remind me of a few things. Yes. Um. So, yeah. Yeah, because I, 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 yeah, I, I like to hear your, your take on, on the events more than, right. than having to regurgitate like I'm regurgitating. Right. Well, you're you're the play-by-play guy and I'm color. So Yeah, there we go. All right, cool. <laughs> I love it. All right. <laughs> so, let's go to the next scene. All right. Which cuts back to Dougie's hospital room in Las Vegas. The electrocardiograph beeps. Janie, Sonny, and Bushnell Bud Mullins look on as Dougie lays in his hospital bed still in a coma. 
Sonny Jim tells his mom that he has to go pee. Janie gets up and goes with him to help find a restroom. Bud gets a phone call from Phil Bisbee at his office telling him that the FBI was just there looking for Dougie. Bud asks, what has he done now? He's in a coma. (laughs) (laughs) So Phil tells Bud that after he told them that Dougie was in the hospital, they left. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So cut to the next scene. Back at Dougie's house in the Rancho Rosa development, Hutch and Chantal are still waiting in their van. Chantal opens another bag of Cheetos. Agent Wilson and another agent pull up in a dark gray Ford Explorer and park down the street. In the van, Hutch says to Chantal, Looks like it's going to be a long day. Remember that guy, Sammy? He passed away. Chantal says, Oh. <laughs> Hutch says, he, <laughs> he was a good guy. I owed him money. Chantal says, Oh, you feel bad about that? Hutch goes, Eh. <laughs> so, just then, a white limousine with the Mitchum brothers and a refrigerated panel truck pull up. Hutch asks, what is this now? Is one of them guys Dougie? Chantal counters, do any of them look like our boss? No, stupid, none of them is Dougie. So, Hutch is taken aback at her tone. He's, she snaps back that it's it's the last bag of her Cheetos. It's the last fucking bag! He asks if she's on the rag. She snaps back, what if I fucking am? Or what if I fucking was, whatever. (laughs) Anyway, outside, a delivery man unloads several boxes out of the truck onto a dolly while the pink floozy girls get out of the limo. Chantel comments, looks like a fucking circus parade. So the floozy... (laughs) (laughs) Which was funny. Which was, that was funny. Oh, that was a, that was the best Chantel line ever. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, the floozies are seen carrying trays while the delivery men wheel the dolly into Dougie's house. Wilson and the explorer down the street comments on the spectacle, but sees no Douglas Jones. The delivery truck then leaves. Just then, a guy in a white Mercedes pulls up to Hutch and Chantal's van, grill to grill. Chantel says, what the fuck? A bald, husky guy in a brown leather coat gets out of the Mercedes with... Zawaski Accounting Incorporated decals on the door. Walks up to their van, knocks on the door, and brusquely says, Hello, you're in my driveway. Hutch protests, we're not in your driveway. (laughs) Is that what brusquely sounds like? I guess. Hello, you're in my driveway. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, you're in my driveway. How's that? (laughs) But better. Moose and squirrel in my driveway. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, Hutch says, we're not in your driveway. Chantal adds, we're not even close to your fucking driveway, asshole. Go fuck yourself. So the Polish accountant stares at them, says, I move car, and gets back in his vehicle and begins ramming and attempting to push their van. Engine revving, tires squealing, metal crunching. He is adamant. Hutch and Chantal are freaked out by this. So Chantal gets pissed, pulls out a gun, and fires a shot out of her window into the windshield of the Mercedes, injuring the accountant. He gets out of his car and runs around to the trunk, to his trunk, and opens it. Hutch yells, What the fuck, Chantal? To which she replies, That douchebag is really pissing me off. <laughs> the accountant rises up with an automatic pistol with a high-capacity magazine and fires at Chantal, striking her in the shoulder. She shrieks in pain. He fucking winged me! Hutch yells, Oh, shit, Chantal, this shit's fucking up the whole thing! He grabs a sawed-off shotgun and fires and hits the windshield of the Mercedes, then yells, Get us the fuck out of here! 
She starts the engine, throws it in reverse, and then back into drive, ramming the Mercedes, which then knocks the accountant down. She then backs up again and pulls forward, attempting to speed away from the firefight. The accountant gets up and begins firing at the van, bullets puncturing its shell. Chantal appears to be fatally wounded and slumps in her seat. The van seems to just coast. The accountant walks up to the rear of the van and begins pumping multiple rounds into the back door, most of them striking Hutch. He collapses inside. The van slowly continues coasting down the street until it slowly jumps a curb and stops dead against the light pole. Third, second and third pointless death. Yeah, really? Was... Really, Chantel and Hutch have been a part of this thing for all this time just so you can kill him in front of Dougie's house? Yeah. Okay, whatever. I didn't really care about him anyway, but I had to listen to all their stupid fucking conversations <laughs> just so you so some random fucking Eastern European guy can fill him full of bullets. Yeah. Okay, Lynch, whatever. That's pretty random to be sure. It, yeah, um, I now I just not having it on that one. Right. Now, this may have been the so-called added scene that Lynch added just so uh, Jennifer Jason Lee and and uh Tim Timothy Roth could have another scene together, but I don't know. I know that there was a scene added. I'm not just not sure that that was the one. Um, so anyway. Oh, All really? Right. He thought they were so great. He was like, I'm going to write him another scene. Yeah, give him, go, have him go out with a bang. So anyway, right. Bradley uh, and Rodney Mitchum come out of Dougie's house. Brad says, what kind of fucking neighborhood is this? Rodney replies, people are under a lot of stress, Bradley. So they... The accountant starts to walk back to his car, but Agent Wilson jumps out of his Explorer, yells, FBI, put the gun down. The accountant complies and puts his hands in the air. The Mitchums sneak back into Dougie's house. Hutch in Chantal's van is deathly silent with a fire burning in the engine compartment. So, yeah, that uh, yeah. Ap- appears to be the end of Hutch and Chantal. Promise. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I guess they yeah. they have they outlived their usefulness and so they're written out. I, I I don't even know what kind of usefulness they were supposed to have, but okay. I yeah, whatever. Yeah, Yawn. Yeah, yeah they <laughs> I, I yeah, they were just colorful background. <laughs> yeah. I I I guess I expect more. I expect a little more from Lynch. Right. I guess the and I, Yeah. I, I, I just think it's like, oh, you know, we had these characters, they're helping bad Cooper, you mm-hmm. know, we're gonna you know nothing they did was really that important. I mean they killed the warden, okay, they you know, they they're they're doing this stuff. But it doesn't really mean anything or, or matter or propel the story forward. And well, then then he's at the end and he's like, well, I got to do something to get rid of him. How about a random European guy gets mad at them and with road rage and kills them? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that seems to be what happened. So, oh, they also um, put a hit on uh, what's his name? The the uh, awkward looking guy. Um, what's his name? Oh, Mr. Todd. Yeah. Yeah. Duncan Todd. Yeah. yeah. They killed Duncan, Duncan Todd. Todd, but uh, yeah, but what? Who cares? I mean, those characters. We don't even know what the fuck. What the fuck? Duncan Todd had to do with anything? It was a guy in Vegas that he, Coop was making him do some shit. But do we care? Is there anything right. that that really mattered to the story in yeah. all of that shit? Well, he was also behind, um, you know, Anthony and all of the shit going down at the uh, Lucky Seven Insurance Agency and. Trying to have uh, uh, Dougie killed 
and stuff, but that's about it. Yeah, I, I just think all of that, they were pointless characters that added nothing to the story. They didn't need to be there. And then you put them there, and then you got to get rid of them. <laughs> yes, it's like... <laughs> I, I, know, I know I'm being a downer, but I was just like, all this stuff at the beginning, most of it was just like, yeah, okay, whatever, what's next? <laughs> but like, then the next scene yes. makes waiting through anything yeah. we, worthwhile. Right, we... We get rewarded for our patience with this episode. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so, back to Dougie's hospital room. He's still in a coma. A humming sound is heard. The humming sound that sounds very similar to the sound that they hear at the Great Northern Hotel. Yes. Yes. Bushnell Mullins hears it and is looking around for its source. He leaves the room and walks down the hallway. At that moment the one-armed man philip gerard appears as a vision on the floor just then good cooper wakes up yes lord (laughs) oh my god oh my god he is and there was much rejoicing oh my goodness yes he is alert he rips the breathing tube out of his mouth and sits up the one-armed man says to him you are awake Cooper says 100%. The one 100%. Arm- <laughs> exactly. And the one-armed man then says what we all collectively said, finally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, then the one-armed the one-armed man tells him the other one, he didn't go back in. He's still out. Take this and he hands him the infamous green owl ring. Then yes. Cooper asks him if he has the seed. The one-armed man reaches into his pocket and pulls out a small gold-colored ball and shows it to Cooper and then puts it back in his pocket. Cooper <laughs> then pulls some hair out of the back of his head and says, I need you to make another one, and gives it to Gerard, who says, I understand. <laughs> Philip Gerard then disappears just as Janie E. and Sonny Jim walk back in. Of course. And right at that point, you you saw what Cooper did. Uh, no, I didn't. Oh, he hid the ring he, under the pillow. He, he puts the ring under the pillow, yeah. Yes. And I was like, okay, is he leaving it there, or is he just hiding it from her for right now? So, right, I yeah. Hope, I hope after he got dressed later that he put it back in his pocket. Right, so, yeah. Um, I assume that he did. So, anyway... Janie E. and Sonny Jim, of course, are amazed to see him conscious. He hugs them. Mullen comes back in and says, Dougie's back. I knew it. More rejoicing. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Cooper then tells Janie E. to go find a doctor and for Sonny Jim to go with her. He then asks Bushnell to hand him the sandwiches because he's starving. (laughs) Bushnell then tells him the FBI was looking for him. Cooper says, Perfect. (laughs) Bushnell comments that he sure came through this pretty strong. The doctor enters and is concerned that he has removed his IV. He asks her to confirm that his vitals are A-OK and that he's leaving. He asks Bushnell to get his clothes out of the cabinet. Janie asks him if this is a good idea. He says, it's a good idea. (laughs) So anyway, the doctor confirms it's a good idea. 
and that she'll prep his release papers. What? Right. As if. As if any doctor with any lick of sense in the world would let someone who just came out of a coma walk out of the hospital two minutes later. Exactly. It's, yeah. Oh, come on, man. But, you know, who who cares? Right. It's it's, 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 it stretches the imagination, yes. Yeah. It's not the weirdest. Yeah, it's not the weirdest thing that happens in this episode. Right. (laughs) So anyway, he asks Janie E. to bring the car around front and that he'll meet her downstairs. He then asks Bushnell if he can borrow his thirty-two snub-nosed revolver. Bushnell agrees. Then Cooper asks Bushnell to get the Mitchum brothers on the phone. Once he gets them on the phone, he tells Rodney, Rod, I'm bringing my family to the casino in 20 minutes. Meet us in the lobby, and that he needs a plane to Spokane, Washington. Rodney assures him, whatever you need, Dougie. We're gassing up the jet. We're gassing it up right now. Then Cooper says to Mullins, I have a feeling a man named Gordon Cole will call here. If he does, read him this message. And so he shakes Bushnell's hand and says, You're a fine man, Bushnell Mullins. I will not soon forget your kindness and decency. Bushnell says, what about the FBI? And Cooper replies, I am the FBI. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Dude, I literally clap. I was literally like, oh, my God. I clapped my hands. I was like, it was just so, I mean, boy, talk about have we waited a long time and and all this pointless stuff. We waited a long time for this and the payoff was fucking amazing oh yeah what a moment that's the whole moment of the whole fucking (laughs) series right there you know exactly i mean if i wasn't cheering out loud i was definitely cheering inside for sure (laughs) i I wrote and i did i literally jumped out of my chair clapping and wahooing i was like (laughs) i was i loved it and i was Uh. it it was it made me think you know i complained a lot on this episode about all the the things that are built up to nothingness well but yeah, when whatever. Lynch, you know, it's just like the golden shovel thing. You just never know. You know, the gold shovel thing was, uh-huh. went on forever, was so ridiculous. But when it got to that payoff of uh, an ad for sh- the shovel to shovel yourself out of the shit, uh-huh. I laughed so hard. It was like, that's the longest setup for the best payoff ever. <laughs> and this was the same kind of thing. It's like sometimes Lynch just drags you along. But when he hits that payoff and he hits it right, oh my God, there's nothing better in the world. Absolutely, that that this was one of those moments for sure. Oh yeah, that's yep. to me. That's the. I mean that you know that's what we've been waiting for since we knew there was going to be a season three. All right. Uh, <laughs> for for Cooper and you know it's it's funny because you know I mean who doesn't love Cooper? Everybody loves Agent Cooper. That's he's the whole show really in a lot of ways right. um such an amazing character you know kyle mclaughlin plays him so amazingly i mean everyone mm-hmm. fell in love with him in the original series absolutely and, yes and you know if lynch was a certain kind of director he would have had agent cooper gung-ho from the very beginning of episode one but you know lynch is different he 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 doesn't do what others would do or what you expect. He makes you wait 15, 16 fucking episodes yep. to get to that moment you've been waiting for since you found out the series was going to actually happen. Right. So, and in this scene, it was so great to see Cooper clear of eye and sharp of wit. Uh, in that black awesome. suit and black tie. Oh, hell yeah. 
That's looking it. a little older, but still, yeah, that sparkle in his eye, that that yeah. knowing kind of smile. Oh man, hell yeah, and a gallon of pomade in his hair. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> boy, so, what a! I mean, what a moment. It, it was. It was. It was beautiful. It was everything. I mean, I, I guess the the maddening thing of you know Dougie stumbling around and eating with his mouth open just set us up. For this this amazing and beautiful reawakening. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. just this thing where it, you know, if if Cooper was Cooper from day one or episode one or whatever, mm-hmm. it's it's just not the same show. It's not the same. And right. boy, that moment when he when he's there, when mm-hmm. he emerges, yeah, it's it's that moment you've waited for, you know, like since. For 25 years. That's the moment we've been waiting for for 25 years. Hell Cooper's yeah. back, and he's in the driver's seat. Right. The butterfly has come out of the chrysalis. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. So. so to end this scene out, Cooper walks out to the car, tells Janie that he will drive. <laughs> after <laughs> after they leave, agents Headley and Wilson pull up in their cars, just missing the Jones family. Cooper, Janie, and Sonny Jim speed down the highway on their way to the Silver Mustang Casino to meet the Mitchums. All right. So, anyway, we said everything we needed to say about that scene. So, let's move yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we get to an, another amazing, wow, wacky scene. Wow, Bob, wow, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, it starts off with Diane sitting in the bar of the Mayfair Hotel. She's smoking and drinking vodka on the rocks. Go figure. Uh, She gets a text message (laughs) that says, Smiley face all. Hmm. Upon reading it, she is startled and nearly drops the phone. She reads it again. A look of dread crosses her face. She takes another long pull on her vodka on the rocks, shudders, exhales sharply several times, and then says to herself, I remember. Oh, oh, Coop, I remember. She picks up her phone and texts back a series of numbers, the coordinates, then says, I hope this works. She then checks her purse. There's a revolver in it. She gets up from the bar and with Muddy Magnolia's song, American Woman, remix, Playing in the background. Remixed by David Lynch. Yes. (laughs) She slowly walks to the elevator, pushes the up button, gets into the elevator, goes up. She gets out of the elevator and walks down the hallway to outside Gordon's command center. She pauses. Gordon inside says loudly, come in, Diane. (laughs) I just love, uh, not to interrupt your your story here, but the use of the music by by whatever that band was, Muddy Magnolia is the, you know, just cool. Lynch, Lynch, you know, knows how to use music. I mean, we know that, but I was just like, wow, this is really cool. This is, you know, and really unique music, too. Definitely. Yeah, Lynch's fingerprints are all over the sound design of this series. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I just, you know, I, I was just, I was thinking, you know, in a in somebody else's series, you might get a moment like that. You'd get that one moment where the music was just like, whoa, mm-hmm. we've had it just about every episode, uh, except for the uh, end of this one. But, uh, <laughs> well, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, 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 yeah. Anyway, I just for a I reason. thought that it was uh-huh. really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It definitely was. Oh, the shitty song at the end is... Yeah, Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 
So she enters uh, Gordon's hotel room. She enters agitated, distracted, and immediately sits down in a green high-back chair across from Gordon. Albert and Tammy sit behind the desk. Gordon, Tammy, and Albert have picked up on her body language and appear concerned and wary. Diane speaks. You asked me about the night that Cooper came to visit me. Well, I'm going to tell you. Albert asks her if she wants a drink. She says, yeah. As Albert <laughs> as Albert fixes the drink, Gordon worriedly notices Diane checking her purse. Albert hands her a drink, which she sips silently. With her multicolored fingernails. Oh, yeah, which she shows huh. off quite a lot in this scene. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she then reaches into her purse and... Pulls out cigarettes. Uh, she continues. <laughs> well, she continues. Well, it was three, maybe four years ago after I stopped hearing from Cooper. I was still working at the bureau. One night, no knock, no doorbell. He just walked in. Mm-hmm. I was standing in my living room. Oh, I was so happy to see him. I held him so close and we uh, we sat on my sofa, started talking. I just wanted to hear everything about where he'd been and what he'd been doing. He only wanted to know about what had been going on at the Bureau. It felt like he was grilling me, but I told myself that he was just excited to hear about Bureau news, and then he leaned in. He leaned in to kiss me. It only happened once before, but as soon as his lips touched mine, something went wrong, and I felt afraid. And he saw the fear in me, and he smiled, and his face, and that's when it started. He raped me. He raped me. Afterwards, he took me somewhere like an old gas station. So... At this point, Diane looks at the text message again, gasps, straightens up, stares forward and says, I'm in the sheriff's station. I'm in the sheriff's station. I sent him those coordinates. I'm in the sheriff's station because, because I'm not me. I'm not me. At this point, crying, she reaches into her purse and pulls out the revolver and points it at Gordon. Albert quick draws and shoots, hitting Diane. Then Tammy and Albert fire two more times at Diane. Then suddenly, Diane is quickly jerked up out of her chair by some unknown force and pops out of existence. <laughs> Tammy and Albert are shocked by the sheer instantaneousness of it. Gordon looks over at them. Tammy breathlessly says, wow, they're real. That was a real tulpa. Gordon then says, Sheriff Station? Yeah, I. Um, it was funny like when she said... Um, you know, I'm, I'm not me. I'm in the sheriff's station. Mm-hmm. I was like, if she's in the sheriff's station, is it the Twin Peaks sheriff's station? Because the only woman there that we don't really know who they are is the what the one I call the Asian eyeless woman. Is is she the Asian eyeless woman? Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was like, hmm. What does she mean? She's in the sheriff's station. But then, weren't they also in the sheriff's station? When she stole the coordinates from what, yes. uh, from the picture. Yes, that's right. She was. So was... I don't know if she's referring to that moment where she became like Cooper's henchman or whatever, you know, where mm-hmm. Cooper took control of her, bad Cooper took control of her and got her to give him the coordinates. Is she mean that that's where she was in that sheriff station or is she talking about the Twin Peaks sheriff station? That's so. a very good point. Okay, here's an idea. Okay, we know that the Diane we've been seeing all this time is a tulpa, which means she's completely fabricated. Um, suppose, and you had mentioned this about, you know, yes, the uh, the Asian eyeless woman, uh, NATO, is in the sheriff's station. Suppose the real Diane is NATO, somehow disguised or transformed by some weird magic or something. 
and that later right. on she'll transform into Diane or something. I don't know, but that only yeah. that just popped into my head because of you you saying that. So hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that you know one and the same. I don't know if wow. if that's what she's referring to or if it's something if I'm completely misreading it and it's something different that she's talking about. But that was the first thing that just kind of hit me was, well, you know, if she's in the sheriff station, there's only one woman that we know of that's in the sheriff station that we don't really know who they are. And that's the Asian eyeless woman. So right. that, hmm. that that could be interesting. And then yeah. I also wanted to mention um like when she when they first cut to her and she's in the bar and she's sitting there and gets the text from presumably from Cooper um right i was like that's an interesting shirt she's wearing <laughs> that's it, and usually things like that i don't really notice but it was just uh-huh. such a unique looking shirt i was like hmm okay. that's a really cool shirt and really different okay i i, I can't say i remember it but uh, well, it, now, it's now i'll kinda, have to look again <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's blue and it kind of has a design on it. And then, of course, in the next scene or a scene coming up with Diane, mm-hmm. uh, her shirt kind of does some stuff. So I was like, hmm, that's interesting. It's like that shirt right. kind of had a special purpose. Okay, good point. Interesting. Hmm. All right, so we get on to the next scene. Yeah. Which is really a continuation of the previous scene. So right. in the Black Lodge, Diane's tulpa sits in a green velvet chair with wide armrests. The one-armed man stands nearby and says, Someone manufactured you. The Diane Tulpa responds, I know. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) How uncharacteristic. So, yeah. Anyway, at that moment, her, or its jaw, cracks. Its face cracks open and a black flame licks out and a gold ball rises out of its head and floats to the side. Then the head disappears and only the black flame remains coming out of the neck hole. The body begins expanding and contracting until it completely collapses into the chair. The gold ball seed falls with it. Electricity crackles. All that remains now is the small gold seed sitting on the seat cushion. Yeah, so, I thought, wow. you know, last episode we were, I think it was the last episode, wasn't it, where it, was it was it episode 15 that ends, towards the end, Sarah Palmer's at the bar? Or is that episode 14? But the one where Sarah Palmer's at the bar and kills the guy and, and, and opens her face. Uh-huh. We were talking about who who was it that did that on the show? What didn't someone else open their face like that? And it was Laura Palmer at the beginning uh, when she's with Cooper in the Black Lodge. Oh. She opens her face too. Okay, all right. So yeah, there's something. I mean, obviously they're shells of who they were with something else evil inside. Right. Right. Just manufactured versions of these people that we know are that are known in the Twin Peaks universe, I should say. Right. Yeah. 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 Tulpas. Yes, yeah. Because tulpas. you know, as 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 we've said, uh, Laura Dern, the way she plays Diane in this, mm-hmm. it's not the way we envision Diane. Just from knowing her through the way Cooper spoke to her, uh, right, on his little tape recorder, we don't expect the the Diane that we get in this in this series. Yes. Um, and, I mean, and that's because she's not the real Diane. Right. Now, we, we cut her some slack because, well, she's been through a lot. She's lost her friend Cooper and, you know, et cetera. She's been raped. Yeah. Well, we didn't know that. We didn't necessarily well, we know, know now, that yeah. in previous episodes. But, yeah, we do know that now, or at least the Tulpa said that. That doesn't right, necessarily yeah. mean that's 
true, but you know, who knows how much connection there is between the real person and their tulpa, you know, is, right, there, is yeah. there some exchange of knowledge? Probably. Right. Obviously, there must be, right? Because like when you take off your face, isn't that giving consent? No, I'm just, that's a terrible <laughs> joke. <laughs> uh, Jim, that was I'll awful. Just, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'll, I'll just leave that <laughs> laying yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I am the shittiest co-host again. No, the the no, mantle no, has no. been passed. <laughs> <laughs> okay shall we move on mm-hmm. okay so next scene at the silver mustang casino the mitchum brothers greet cooper janie e and sunny jim they tell cooper that they're all set the plane's standing by janie asks where they are going cooper asks the mitchum brothers to give him a moment to talk to janie and sunny jim alone he tells them that he has to go away for a while but dougie I mean, I'll be back. He tells them that he loves them, but he has to go away, but he'll see them soon. He tells them, I'll walk through that red door, and I'll be home for good. Janie asks him not to go, but he tells her he has to. They kiss. She says, whoever you are, thank you. He leaves with the Mitchum brothers. I, I, I thought that was that was actually a really sweet scene and you totally believed that Janie E and Sonny Boy Jim are truly upset and and sad to see him go. Right. And I, I mean, they I was f- like mm-hmm. I was like uh they only knew uh, really about 2% of what we know as Cooper and they loved him so much. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. I mean, you can see that he has great affection for them even though most of the time we thought he was completely out of it and not really conscious of very much of anything going on around him, but apparently he has total recall of uh, everything that was going on. Somewhere Real Cooper was in there struggling to get out and paying attention. Right, right. He was... uh he was like a, a tape recorder that can only record, can't play back or right, something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But, can only uh, play back the last two seconds. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> last. But I, oh, yeah, I just good. thought that was a really good scene. Um, that I, that you totally believed that they were sad to see him go and considered him, you know, the husband and father. Mm-hmm. You know. And and we we finally know that that Janie has. A bit of an inkling that this isn't her Dougie necessarily, um, but she still has grown to love him. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. So on to the next scene. Mm-hmm. In the limo on the way to the plane, Cooper is with Rodney, Bradley, Candy, and the other two floozies. Um, <laughs> Rodney's trying to get things straight. You don't sell insurance. You're an FBI agent who's been missing for 25 years, and we need to get to a town called Twin Peaks to a sheriff's station. <laughs> Brad says, Dougie, we love you, but we are not traditionally welcome at such places. <laughs> Rod- <laughs> Rodney adds, Or by such aforementioned people, law enforcement types. Cooper assures them, I read you 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Friends, that's about to change. I am witness to the fact that you both have hearts of gold. (laughs) (laughs) And then Candy adds, they do. They They really really do. do. Uh, yeah, oh. I was just thinking about how, uh, boy, I can't now all of a sudden. I didn't really think about it much after this episode, but 
Boy, I can hardly wait for the end. Cooper is back. It's going to be amazing. What's going to happen next? Oh, man, everything. Whatever it is, we're going to have real Cooper for two more episodes. Exactly. And he's going to be back together, you know, with Sheriff Truman and um, uh, Hawk and Andy yeah. and all of them, man. He was an yeah, on- yeah, because, back in Twin Peaks. Right. Cooper was an honorary bookhouse boy. I just, yeah. I just want to know if Ed. Uh, Hurley is also going to come together with them and help out, too, because he was a bookhouse boy, but he hasn't had any interaction uh, regarding, well, you know, the main thread. He's just been involved in the the Nadine and, and Norma story. So, right. Well, Ed's getting up there, man. Well, yeah. <laughs> Ed, maybe. Ed probably needs to retire. <laughs> I read online somewhere that um the guy who plays Ed, Everett McGill. Yes, Everett McGill. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, had actually retired from acting several years ago and and came back oh. only to do this. So, well, uh, I'm glad that he did because it was nice to see some closure in the his love story with Norma. Yes, uh, yeah, I always liked his character, um, mm-hmm. and and you know he's like Harry Truman and and uh, the others, the true men in Twin Peaks. You know, he's a good guy. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah. So maybe and maybe he will. Maybe somehow he'll get involved when Cooper gets there and things start happening in Twin Peaks. Who knows? Hell yeah. They're going to need all the help they can get. Because like you said, there was that scene where Everett McGill, where um, Big Ed burns that note. Right. And you were like, maybe that was a note from Bobby saying something's going to happen or something. So. Yeah, so we shall see because we you know, shall see. Yeah, because you know Ed Hurley, he was involved in the whole uh, big rescue of Audrey Horn from uh, One Eyed Jacks in the original series, if you recall. Yeah, so yeah. you know he was uh, he was a go to guy. Yeah, so, he's a bookhouse boy. Yeah, he needs to be part of this shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah, of course. Uh, all right. Shall we move on? We're at the Bang Bang. Yes, we are. At the but Bang it's really, Bang Roadhouse. Uh, more of a dull thud. <laughs> so at the Roadhouse, the MC is proud to welcome Edward Lewis Severson. Played the third. By, yes. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, uh, not a real person. Played by Eddie Vedder. Before you know that's Eddie Vedder's real name? I had to look it up. Oh, is it really? Yeah, that's his real name. No shit. Okay, see, I didn't know that. Okay, thank you for adding that. So he performs the song Out of Sand. Uh, I would have called it Out of Place. I mean, it's just so different from every other performer we've had at the the Bang Bang Club, but whatever. That's fine. I wrote wrote just insufferable. (laughs) It was was made. That was a long Man. musical interlude. Yeah, uh, just insufferable. Made me long for Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> <laughs> right. At least, uh, you know, Nine Inch Nails had a kind of a, you know, hard edge to them. Right, but, uh, and kind of fit in the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, in yeah. The, in the confines I, of the Bang Bang Bar. Right. Yeah. I read something online. Actually, it was just kind of a headline to an article that I didn't really click on. Mm-hmm. Uh, something about Laura Dern saw Eddie Vedder do a acoustic set somewhere, and somehow that's how he ended up doing this scene. Oh. Um, but I, I was just like, oh man, I, I, it was so it was insufferable. That's I said it. So yeah. anyway, well, personally, I think this performance is all part of a dream sequence, so it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> well, that's true. All right, but I don't want to telegraph too much to the audience. But, but they, we're almost there, so. Right. So, after that long music performance by Eddie Vedder, um, 
Audrey and Charlie have finally arrived at the roadhouse. Charlie orders two martinis for them. They toast, or at least Charlie toasts. He said, here's to us, Audrey. And she counters, here's to Billy. (laughs) (laughs) Then things start getting weird. The MC then announces, Audrey's dance. And like I said, things get weird. So the dance floor clears and the bega- and the band begins playing Audrey's dance. Audrey, and it is her dance for sure, uh, she begins dancing alone like she did 25 years ago. Not to, not to interrupt you here, but mm-hmm. I, me- I meant to mention earlier, yeah. you know, the, the music she dances to on this is the, is the same music from the original series. Yes. Um, and then... There, the scene when Cooper awakens and says, I am the FBI, at that scene they play the original theme music to the series. And it sounded so fucking good. <laughs> it, was, yes. it was like, you know, the yeah. music in this, in this series, in this season, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. has been great. But, yeah. you know, we've kind of missed that old standard Twin Peaks episodes music. And right. not only did we get that when Cooper reemerged on the scene and we get the original theme song, but then we get to the roadhouse and it's time for Audrey's dance and we get that crazy, um, interesting music that used, we used to hear in the show a lot as well. I just thought that was really cool. It's like, yes, we're really getting back to Twin Peaks now. Right. So, yeah. So Audrey's dancing like she did all those years ago by herself. Of course, it's a little different now. It almost kind of feels like Norma Desmond ready for her close-up. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, she continues dancing until a guy starts yelling, Monique! Monique, that's my wife, asshole! And throws a glass at another man's head. It shatters. A fight ensues. Chaos. Audrey runs to Charlie and says, Get me out of here, Charlie! And then, in a flash, <clears throat> yes, In a flash, she is alone in a bright white room staring into a round makeup mirror. She gasps and says, what? What? (laughs) What? What? Uh, (laughs) End of scene. I love love that it was uh, not only an all-white room, uh, but uh, she's wearing a white shirt. Everything's white. Uh And then all you can see in the mirror is her reflection of her face. You really can't see right anything no and and of course i i was like hmm is this is she in the white lodge Ooh, interesting point yeah, yeah. i mean yeah maybe she's either in the white lodge or a, a mental asylum or yeah, in or... some weird alternate reality trapped there by the doppelganger yeah i don't know where that. is she but yeah that was a great uh a great edit right there you know because yeah uh, we we've been speculating that you mm-hmm. know charlie wasn't real that something wasn't right that yeah. maybe this was all in her head you know and and sure right. enough it seems like that's what's going on so yeah i mean it, it certainly makes sense now of all the weird disjointed conversations that she's been having with charlie all this time and uh so i <laughs> i just can't wait to see what the hell is going on? We finally got somewhat of a payoff to this whole maddening Audrey-Charlie 
scenario. <laughs> Finally, we know a little bit more that that was all just weird bullshit, but <laughs> it's still a mystery as to where she really is and what's really going on with her. Right. We still, you know, what's real and what isn't real. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Don't know yet. So, ah, mm-hmm. oh, so. I am very excited yeah. for the last two episodes, man. Right. Talking about this one has gotten me really hyped up, and it's just <laughs> not that far away. We're just a couple days recording this, just a couple days before it's back for exactly. the last time. So right. So are they going to do the last two episodes on in one night? Yes, on the Sunday of Labor Day weekend, which I just don't understand. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Um, they took a break for was it was it for July fourth? I think so. Yeah, I remember there break. was one. One week where there was a break, and uh, but uh, yeah, but they're not taking a break for Labor Day for some reason. But um, yeah, that is strange. I'm cool with that. I ain't got nothing going on Sunday night anyway. So no, that's true. <laughs> and the good thing is we we got Monday off. You yeah, got, yeah. yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. So, wow, man. Holy shit. Things are definitely converging now because Cooper's converging on Twin Peaks right now. Yeah, everything's everything's happening. So yeah, every, it, they're all converging. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I loved, yeah, once you got past a lot of the BS in this episode, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's all worth it to get to that scene where Coop is Coop again and where uh, 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 the music plays and Audrey is dancing the way she used to dance and we're we're so close to being <laughs> back to where we were. Yeah, so much is, is has been revealed or is about to be revealed. Yes. But, so, my God. Yeah. The episode ends with Audrey's dance backwards. Yes, that's right. <laughs> oh, yeah, while the credits rolled, the, the band yeah. was playing... Um. Yeah, Audrey's theme backwards. backwards. Ooh. Yeah, Audrey's dance. Yeah, Audrey's dance. What did I say? Theme. Yeah. <laughs> okay, though. Um. Hmm. So yeah, you know, certainly, I, I will, I would love it if characters like Richard Horn and and well, Richard Horn especially seems like boy, it sure would be nice if there was something important for him to do that it wasn't just this build up to kill him on a rock and then we're done. Right. Um, but we'll just have to see. But say he does live, you know, or, or gets back to reality, he's probably going to spend the rest of his life in prison. Well, not if Coop can convince him that, not if there's a good Richard Horn. True. That's Very been true. trapped in the White Lodge somehow. Yeah. Or the Black Lodge somehow. So, right. yeah, I mean, who knows if, if Coop gets back to Twin Peaks and somehow makes everything right again, maybe... Maybe it will be like what has happened in the past didn't happen. Maybe it will be like an alternate timeline or something. Oh, wow. I mean, like the little boy who got hit by the truck is not dead and... Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And and Miriam never got the shit beat out of her. <laughs> yeah, stuff <laughs> well, like that. You well, never know. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Um, um, ben Horn and um, Beverly uh, just went ahead and fucked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And her husband is cured of cancer? Yes, yeah. <laughs> I wonder, it's just so, it's like, yeah, all these things that have happened building up to this, year, and you're like, w- wonder what things, like, is. I wonder if Ben Horn is going to have anything to do in the last two episodes. Is it going to be important at all, or is it just, eh, he wanted to have um, 
that actor in the show. I can't think of the name of the actor who plays him, but you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like Jacoby and and uh, Nadine. Right? Uh, is what we've seen going to be pretty much what they're all about, or is there is there more to that story? Because that whole story kind of has resolved the Nadine, the Jacoby. Although there may be a scene where Jacoby and Nadine are together and Ed and and Norma are together or something. I don't know. On we a, just don't know. Yeah, on a double date. Shoveling themselves out of the shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what's going to happen with um, Becky now that supposedly Stephen is dead? Is that going to is there going to be anything about that or is that just going to is that the resolution that he's just another guy that another death that well we introduced this character but there really wasn't anything for him to do so right. he's dead now. Yeah, so we just ended his arc in the forest. Yeah. That's <laughs> my know. biggest complaint is that if we get to the last two uh, episodes and those characters really, you know, mm-hmm. don't have don't the, all the stuff that happened with them doesn't really have some bearing on what's going on, uh that'll be kind of disappointing because it'll seem like those 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 arcs weren't in my opinion those arcs weren't very interesting. Right. You know? They were just mere distractions. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Red herrings, so yeah. to speak. S- speaking of red, what's what's going to happen with the character of Red and Oh uh, yeah, he has been Sh- around and yeah. Shelley. Red and Shelley and all that. So that's weird. Yeah. You know? Is you know, Bobby and Andy and all of them, I mean, they're bookhouse boys, so surely there's going to be something for them to do. But right. you know, is is Red something? See, an evil guy that's going to have to be killed, or I don't you know, know, yeah. So maybe he's an associate of Bad Cooper. We don't know. Maybe we'll yeah, find out. Yeah, we just out. don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's that's my presumption because I can't remember what connections yeah, Red he- had. Well, he had a connection to Richard Horn, but mm-hmm. so you know, it's very possible because he had kind of magical powers of you know flipping that dime in the air and it just hovering there and then appearing in richard's mouth well you know we still don't know what the hell that was all about mm, appearing in richard's mouth okay. <laughs> <laughs> i got sidetracked would would, would would you like to drop a dime in richard's mouth <laughs> <laughs> oh man Okay, whatever. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to answer that. <laughs> okay, thanks. I, I, I will. I will demure. Okay, be demure okay. about it all. All right, fair but enough. Here we go, man. It's almost over. I don't know. I, know. Mm. I don't. You know. Yeah. I, I don't know if life will ever be the same once it's over. I know. I mean, I have that. I feel that same excitement I have. You know, when the original series was on. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like I was almost like. Stepping back in time, emotionally speaking, as far as being uh, entranced by a television show. Right. Especially the first season. I do believe I lost interest in the second season and didn't. Right. I hear you. I hear you. Definitely. Yeah. Even even on a second watch, uh, it's easy to get through the first season. Of course, it was only eight episodes. Right. There's that, too. Yeah. The second season was, I don't know, 20, 22 episodes? 19, I think. Yeah. Yeah, It was... uh, yeah, it was a lot of shit to get through. Yeah. There's not going to be any uh, boredom with uh, the last two episodes of this season, though. That's for sure. No, I yeah. don't think so. I'm excited. I can't wow. wait. This is, uh, yeah. Hopefully we have an, an amazing payoff, and I'm sure it will be. I mean, if uh, the, the last few episodes are any indication. Yeah, I think just the fact that Coop's back right. can't, go, it can't go wrong. It's going to be <laughs> fun to just see Kyle McLaughlin be Cooper for a couple episodes, even if... 
what happens is disappointing. Mm-hmm. That feeling is going to be amazing. So right. it's going to be the the battle of the century. <laughs> yeah, good coop versus bad coop. Yeah, I'm telling you, What's man. What's that going to be, man? Holy shit, boy! I, I tell you what, they're they're definitely going to need Freddie with his uh, green garden glove. Yeah. Oh, Freddie. <laughs> I hope he becomes. I yeah, he needs to become an honorary bookhouse boy. Get yeah, in on the well, action. Maybe yeah. James can get him in the bookhouse somehow or something. Of course. Yeah, definitely. Once they realize yeah. the power that he has. Yeah, they got to have him. He's mm- going to, mm-hmm. here I come to save the day. Right. Of course, Bad Coop's going to have all those damn woodsmen on his side and shit. That's going to be some badass stuff going on. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah. There's so many things that could happen. It's uh, it's going to be exciting. I can't wait. All we know is that Good Coop has somehow got to get that green owl ring on Bad Coop's finger. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, it was, <laughs> it's been a fun episode, Lodge. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. As usual. And uh, so, yeah, okay. Well, I guess uh, we can close it out here and say goodnight to our viewers, our listeners. <laughs> our listeners. Our listeners yeah. to slide in next week. For another fabulous episode of A Slippery Slope. 100%. (laughs) Yes. I meant to ask you, I assume even with more rain in LaGrange, your mom was still all good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. There, there's no chance of any flooding on her end of town. It was okay. just the um, the the side of town that's closest to the river where shit the water had risen within a block and a half of the downtown area, the courthouse square. Uh, wow! And it hadn't been that high since like 1935. Um, wow! Yeah, man. yeah, that's, that's crazy. That's just that's very crazy. I mean, the highest the water level had ever been in LaGrange, and this was before they had all the dams on the Colorado River uh, here in Austin. Uh, it had gotten like like four feet high in the downtown area, like in mm. 1915. Of course, then they built all the Highland Lakes, and that stopped most of that kind of flooding. And uh, yeah, of course, in 1935, like I said, it did get you know close to downtown, but never got into downtown. Got in, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. But uh, so having it get, you know, as high as it did in 1935 in uh, uh, LaGrange uh, the other day was crazy, man. Right, yeah. 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 A lot of... Unprecedented, pretty much. Right, because there's a lot more structures in that floodplain now than there was in 1935. Like there's a, you know, there's a KC Hall in that area and other businesses and, of course, lots of homes that people have built, you know, over the years that are flooded out. You know, in, in that section and tra- uh, trailer park over there as well. And so, yeah. So, oh, yeah. You don't want the uh, KC Hall to flood. <laughs> Those Catholics need their clubhouse, man. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was that's like, you know, one of the, the local dance halls where, you know, all the cover bands come to to play. You know, for the high school kids. So, oh wow! (laughs) You know, not to mention weddings and everything, wedding receptions and shit like that. So, yeah, right, yeah, Mm -hmm. (laughs) wow, yeah. So, but um, you know, the water will go down, and um, you know, things will get cleaned up, and people will rebuild. Hopefully, it never happens again. Yeah, that's all we can. You know, who knows? 
you know, well. it's just like Galveston. I guess, you know, uh, I guess Galveston didn't get hit too bad because I know they're talking about letting the cruise ships go back tomorrow and Saturday and Sunday. Right. Oh, by the way, my uncle Tony and his wife were were on one of those cruise ships that couldn't get back to Galveston. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, supposedly they're not coming back till Friday or tomorrow. Right. Are they were they stuck in Miami? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow, so. yeah, that's what I was. So, and I wasn't even sure because, you know, I know Galveston got a lot of water and stuff, but I apparently it didn't really do a lot of damage to uh, much of the infrastructure there. It, there was a little bit of flooding, but I don't think it even Yeah. uh it was that bad. Right. You know, because obviously if they can open the port again, mm-hmm. then winds must not have torn up too much there. Yeah, I guess not. They didn't. Uh, they didn't catch catch as much hell as the uh, other areas nearby. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which. Yeah. I don't think that wind. You know, normally in a hurricane, wind's a big concern. But right. I don't think wind was ever a big deal as much as the flooding and the and then so that then with the flooding, the loss of power and that kind of stuff too. Right. Dude. Uh, hmm. Crazy. I didn't shit. even think about like all the people's cars who are parked at the port. Oh hell. Yeah. yeah. I wonder. Uh, yeah i'm sure they're yeah (laughs) pretty concerned about that shit yeah yeah i just don't know how bad galveston got i didn't no one's really talked about it like it was a big issue so i don't know right i yeah i haven't heard anything so hmm yeah that'll be interesting to know so but anyway okay all right then all right um, man have a good night you too i'll uh, talk to you soon all right bye bye Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm